0: Lent is to be a time not so much that we, you're giving me signals, okay, bumped against it. Lent is a time not so much that we give something up, But we look to something greater than ourselves, namely Jesus, who gave his life on the cross. And see, that calls us to repentance, to fasting, to living for life fully. So let's respond in this. It's a meditation on the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll begin and then you'll reply. Jesus Christ Born in humility, you lived among us. You healed the sick, shared good news to the poor, and proclaimed freedom to the prisoner. We worship you, Lord. Jesus Christ, gentle and humble of heart, you taught us how to serve and love others. You called to yourself all who were weary and burdened. We worship you, Lord. Jesus Christ, full of patience and goodness, you were betrayed and denied, yet... You showed forgiveness to the very end. We worship you, Lord. Jesus Christ, innocent, you graciously took our sins from us. You willingly accepted death to free us from death. You conquered evil and hatred. We worship you, Lord. Jesus Christ, Risen and reigning King Eternal. You are alive at the Father's side. You prepare a place for us and intercede on our behalf. We worship you, Lord. Uh, Our first hymn is number 193. I know that my Redeemer lives as you're able. Let's stand and sing together. Okay, there we go. 572 trusted in my Amen. Amen. Have a seat if you would. Again, greetings. I was thinking this morning. A special blessing for each of you that made it on the day of daylight savings time. Uh, brought to you by the daylight savings time is an idea brought to you by. They're running trillion dollar budgets or deficits. We don't need any more of those ideas. Let's press on. Welcome. Whether you're on site here or uh, online across the live stream or recorded, we're glad that together we can be in the presence of the living God, worshiping and making His glory known. Uh, After service this morning, we will do as we typically do with our coffee, munchies, juice, a great time gather. We are encouraging folks to keep name tags so that you can identify who it is and maybe meet some new people use that as an opportunity to connect it's been a full and busy week oh yeah i'm sorry i see the note i will also be doing my typical follow-up at 10:30. i gather in room number one in the basement a classroom for question answer just responses ideas it always gives me a sense of um being able to know what's on the hearts of folks. I love the interaction. So we'll do that as well at 10.30. Busy week, Wednesday, we gathered for a presentation, The End of Art, that helped us see graphically how ideas express themselves. And you begin to be able to understand the confusing world in which we live in as we look at how artists portray some of these ideas, I hope we'll continue to have opportunity with uh, Professor Frank Spires from Calvin for those sorts of things. Then Friday and Saturday, we were just part of a number of churches that gathered. It was on our facilities. I'm glad we had the space for that, and our paid staff helped uh, get things organized. But we did the Feed My Starving Children. And I've been able to gather a couple of things. There were four key churches, and this year, Missione gathered with us and participated in this. There were uh, right at 356 volunteers to make that happen. One of the things that the Scripture teaches us is that ministry is not something that hired guns do. People like me, people like our paid staff, guide and support and equip the body to do ministry. So ministry happens by God's people. We support and equip and lead to make sure that uh, we're pursuing God's kingdom. 356 people, there were 1, 109,000 meals made. That's about uh, 300 days of one, uh, that for 300 kids, that's one meal a day for a year right in the anchor. Can you imagine that happened? Because of various support sponsors, we were able to do that almost self-funded. So that's the way ministry happens. It's God at work in the lives of people to extend the love of the kingdom further and outward. We don't do things like this in order to be loved by God. You don't feed my starving children so that God will love us more and see, oh yes, these are my children. God loves us by his grace, makes us his children. And this is just how children behave. You see that difference? There's a whole different motivation. Sometimes you do things because you want to be noticed. Other times, you've been loved, and so you do things whether you are or not. But I'm thankful to the volunteers that were the boots on the ground, the staff we had to help implement and make it possible for those volunteers to serve. But most of all, it's the love and grace of Jesus at work in us to reach to the world. Uh, This summer, our Great Escape Camp is something that we do through Neighbors Plus. uh, Gather kids, uh, kindergarten through uh, elementary age. We still have a few openings for paid counselors. It's a great—if you know a college student who's thinking about going into teaching, um, if they can come and serve for a summer like that, they learn some things, it'll help them discern whether they like kids or not, and that's a first step into identifying your calling in life. So we'll hire with that. You see, they're trying to move me along. Thank you. (laughs) The 26th of this month, the Rehoboth School Choir will be here in the evening to sing. This is a long-term relationship we have with the CRC and um, this school among the Navajo Nation, and they'll be bringing a choir of their students to sing and perform and just share life with us. We need some folks to help us feed them. If you would be available that evening at about 5 to just help serve. We won't have to make anything. Um, We could use a number of folks, email Christine or call the... um office, and we'll help arrange that for you. And then for just plain fun, uh, the following Wednesday on the 29th, the Pinewood Derby. This is kind of the end of our Gems and Cadets, and if you want to see a year of ministry and relationship kind of end with a fun moment, just come. You don't even have to enter a car to be a part of the fun, so uh, don't miss it great things part of what we're again think about where we're going think about the mission we're called to invite people to join the journey to be found in, formed by and following christ and that takes relationship and time together here's a way to do that in a in a very fun sort of um relational way so be a part of things Uh, Our faith is not mine to invent. It's not yours to put together like you're eating at a cafeteria. It's got content and substance and meaning, some things it means, some things it doesn't mean. And we kind of focus our understanding as we use uh, expressions of faith from the church across the centuries. A favorite for us is the Heidelberg Catechism. And so as we prepare through Lent for Jesus and what He did on the cross, I've chosen this question that lets us see the meaning of the sacrifice and death. Uh, the question for today, number 43, what further benefit do we see receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? By Christ's power, our old selves are crucified, put to death, and buried with Him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer rule over us, but that instead we may offer ourselves as a sacrifice of gratitude to Him. We offer to Him who has rescued us our whole lives. Hymn number 168. uh, Let's sing this together. Meditation on the cross, O sacred head now wounded. amen and amen. Thank you. Have a seat. I want to enter into a time of prayer. We'll end with the Lord's Prayer, and then I'll dismiss any kids to children's ministry uh, with Miss Janet in the back. We won't come forward for a story. Um, I always know as I'm preaching through the scripture that there's a rich meditation on those texts by people who've gone ahead of me. I'm just carrying the baton in my moment of the race. I was deeply struck and actually hadn't noticed it. I was using that hymn to prepare us for Lent, but the third verse where it says, "'Lord, make me yours forever, a loyal servant true.'" Because Jesus himself identifies as a servant, And he says, that's what his character is. What he makes us is servants. We reflect his character by that work in us. Jesus doesn't make narcissists. So when you see in your life, that expression of self-exertion, of narcissism, that sort of thing, you know that there's a." portion of your life that Jesus wants to change think about that Lord make me yours forever a loyal servant true let's turn to the Father and pray oh Lord our God we thank you that you have made yourself known we understand that we often miss that or get it a little wrong or twist it to our own ends but I thank you that By the grace of your Holy Spirit, you are taking the scripture and making it life to us, that we might know you as you are, and that you are at work by your power in us to change us after the image and glory of Christ, who was a servant and came to serve, to give his life a ransom for many." Help us to see in fresh new ways that calling, the goal, the path. Because there are many distractions in our moment that would lead us in other ways, other identities, other behaviors. And yet we thank you that you are faithful to lead us, Good Shepherd. Father, be at work in us that even as your grace calls us to feed the hungry, that your grace might work in us to give us a deeper hunger for you. Take our lives as they are and motivate us from the inside moving out that a deep inner hunger to know you more, to serve you uh, with more humility, to stand more for your truth, to be shaped by who you are, as your spirit convicts and leads us to repentance. Be at work in us that uh, your glory might show through us. Father, thank you that you've called us to be a part of this larger ministry, Heart of We thank you for the opportunity to invest as a people and feed my starving children. And we thank you that even as you have first loved us, so we can express in a very practical way love for 300 children who'll be fed for each day in an upcoming year, wherever that may be, whether the continent of Africa or the war-torn nation of Ukraine, wherever this food lands, may it land with our prayer expressing your grace. Thank you for all who worked hard to set up volunteers, for all volunteers who worked hard to invest themselves. Uh, thank you for your great work. and. Uh, love in the midst of us. We pray for Pastor Aaron who will be preaching in Watershed, that your word may be clear among that portion of our body. For Pastor JB who will be in fusion and Pastor Florencio he will stand right where I do now but proclaim in Spanish the great love of a rescuing God. Father, we pray too for the people of celebration and we know there are those among us who are struggling with a, a hard diagnosis, uh, recovering from treatment, sick, whether uh, overwhelming or just out for a week, take this moment and in the silent sanctuary of your hearts, as I often say, pray by name and with specificity for people in your circle of relationships who need God's healing grace and touch. Father, I pray, too, for people who have the nagging voice of forgotten, of alone, of hard-pressed. We know sometimes our circumstances are very much like that. So uh, we pray now for people who may hear that orphan voice, as I often call it in my own life. We pray for them by name that your grace would minister deep hope and adoption and security to their heart. Pray for those who may feel isolated or distant in your relationships. And finally, Father, I pray that each of us may have a sense of how you've gifted us. Uh, Unique ways you've made us and rescued us to uh, be used of you to your glory and to the benefit of others. So help us identify clearly our gifting and our calling. Even as it develops over time. Even as we gather abilities and skills. Teach us how to follow you that your gifting might uh, serve your kingdom and the calling the place you've given us. Father, you've called your church to be a praying church that everything we do, like Feed My Starving Children, would grow out of the leadership that comes from the place of prayer. You've clearly instructed us in the Scripture, in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2, to pray for those in authority over us, and so we do that each week. This week for our federal level of authority, for President Biden and Vice President Harris for Michigan senators Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters for area representative Bill Heisinger for the Supreme Court and father for all who serve with them or under them in various administrative capacities and support capacities we pray that you would guide and direct their hearts that their hearts might be as a river in your hand that they may wake up some days with an intent to go this direction and go home at night having gone a different direction because you by your grace have directed them to your glory and for the benefit of your people we pray for them father we thank you that the gospel is good news for every tribe and tongue across the globe and so we pray for missionaries from hardaway patrick and cara that as they serve in Jamaica with the deaf community that you would use them and guide them. Be encouragement for often you're as much in, at work in the heart of the missionary as you are in the mission itself. Father, I do pray for this yearning of heart to know you deeper, continue to stir us up to run the race that you've called us to. Most of all, work in us the life of prayer and hear our prayers as we pray together with one voice, just as the Lord Jesus has taught us using these words. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And Amen. Okay, any kids who want to be a part of the children's ministry, it's going to be Miss Janet in the back. She's saying she'll press on, but you can join her, um, anybody who'd like to be a part of that. So, uh, let's jump right into the Scripture and our time in the Word of God this morning. We're involved in a series now, remember overall in this year, school year kind of thing, we are reading through the story, which is a focused editing of the text of the New International Version Bible, those words, and we've worked our way through the first books of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and now we're in a four-week stretch of the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we've decided, even as you're reading through in the story, I think it's chapter 23, um, you're reading through uh, the first portions of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. I'm going to take time, and last week we focused on Matthew. This week we're going to look at Mark. Next week we'll look at Luke. (laughs) You can follow the pattern there. It's all good. Um... So we'll dig in that way, and our scripture for this morning, I'm going to highlight and focus on from here in um, the Gospel of Mark, begins at Mark chapter 10, and I'll read at verse 35 through 45. Hear the word of God. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. "'Teacher,' they said, "'we want you to do for us whatever we ask.'" Oh boy, there's a prayer. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I bring and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but... Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but instead to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Lord, our God and Father, even... As this moment was carefully recorded, so by your grace, you have carefully preserved it across centuries. May we now with just as much care and humility, open the text, ponder it, prayerfully listen for your teaching, and let our hearts and minds be illuminated by your spirit, speaking it deeply to us. Fill us with great hope this day. Guard us from my brokenness. Instead, bring us to your word and shape our hearts and lives. These things we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen amen. Well, one of the things I'm anxious for you to see as we're in this uh, four weeks, this changes everything, is the way each gospel, as it tells the story of the same person, that is to say Jesus, it gives us a little different angle and perspective, and in that way we get a much more nuanced and full view of exactly who Jesus is. We talked about last week how Matthew had been called as a a backslidden Jewish tax collector to follow Jesus, and so he sees the person of Jesus— through those Jewish eyes that sees him as the coming Messiah, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, these things that are key themes for Matthew. Now, Jesus is that, but as a full person, Jesus is also the God of power and authority. And Peter, who Mark was kind of using as his source, as best we know, and speaking to Romans, was very much Focused on that part. So you see, it's not that they're contradictory, it's that they're nuancing and enriching our view of Jesus like a holograph. I use the picture of the police officer who wants to get, when there's been an accident, he wants somebody who sees from that way, somebody from that way, and together begins to get a sense. It's almost as if we need these perspectives to fully understand an event or a person, particularly anything as important as Jesus. So today, Mark, the one-word summary I have in terms of its background is Roman. And as I said last week, the Romans were not interested in who your daddy is. There's no genealogy in Mark. It starts with the beginning of the gospel. They want to know what changes power. I don't care who your daddy is, how big is your army? That would have been the Roman question. And you see the impact on it. One way I'll highlight this is through the word immediately. If you read the Gospel of Mark at one setting, you will see active verbs and this immediately. Jesus did this. Immediately, he did that. It was a perfect moment for me to do a quick, um, what you'd call word study. If you take this Greek word that we translate usually by immediately— You'll discover that it was used six times in Matthew, three times in Luke, and three times in John. Altogether, that's 12 times. So, three out of the four Gospels use it 12 times. Mark uses that word 41 times. 12 times in the first chapter alone. So, in the first chapter of Mark, just read that. You'll see that word used as much as you do the other three Gospels all together. Mark is in a hurry that you get to know the power and authority of Jesus. So it's just fascinating, you sense energy. You sense purpose and direction. He always has his eye on the mission. And that would make sense as John Mark with Peter in Rome, speaking to Rome, Romans, that's kind of the setting we understand of Mark is best we're able to put it together. And he makes this point. This is the mission. Jesus is a man on mission. But there's a deeper context that I want you to make sure you're aware of as well. Mark has a deep sense of reconciliation. Now, Jesus came to do that. All of them would agree on this. But just think about how close this would have been to the heart of John Mark. Reconciliation. If we trace John Mark Through the Scripture, in Acts 12, 12, you see him with Peter. Uh, When Peter is released from jail, he'd been jailed for preaching the gospel. He heads back. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So Peter invested deeply in John Mark. John would have seen, uh, this Mark, uh, that's why they clarified that name, Mark would have seen Peter released from jail in that moment. He studied well, was discipled, and he joined Paul and Barnabas on a, a first missionary trip. When Paul and Barnabas had finished their mission, they were bringing things from Antioch to Jerusalem. They returned back to Antioch, taking with them John, also called Mark. So, now we see Mark moving from with Peter, he's going to be a part of the ministry with Paul and Barnabas. But at the end of that mission trip, there comes a moment where Paul and Barnabas come to a deep disagreement over should Mark join them the second time. And for whatever reason, it was so deep, they split, and Mark goes with Barnabas. So you, It's difficult to see these two great leaders get crossways with each other, and what had once been a team becomes actually two teams. But I want to make sure you see that by the end, by about the time that Mark would have been writing his gospel, he's reconciled with Paul. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 4.10. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So you see, Paul and Mark will eventually—this is what the gospel does. It brings reconciliation. They could now comfortably go to the family Thanksgiving dinner. I want to tell you something. The gospel is at work to take people whose relationship breaks down and to bring them back together. That would have been Mark's experience as he recorded and wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this gospel— Power and power to reconcile relationships. It was his experience. Well, this particular passage, it's a hard thing to take one passage out of all 16 chapters here and focus in, but we, we chose this one because it really is a turning point. Last week we saw who do people say that I am? The Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Now, Jesus. Begins to work with his disciples, not simply about who he is, but what his agenda is. Because he's going to challenge us, even as he challenged the 12 disciples here. Whose agenda are you going to follow, yours or mine? He does this by focusing in on two of the disciples, James and John. And these are interesting characters, these guys. I want to call James and John the alpha bros. Have you ever been in a work team or perhaps a sports team or in a band? There's always somebody who thinks they're in charge. One of the reasons I loved playing bass in bands was because there was always a singer or a guitar player who wanted to be out front, and I just played and had fun. Let them be the alpha male. Well, James and John were clearly the alpha bros among the twelve. They had grown up as invested in Zebedee and Sons fish company. They were the sons. See, their dad ran this small family business. It was a big enough business that they took in other family. Um, Andrew. Peter were a part of this, but this family business had grown so much they needed to hire employees. You read that um, as James and John followed Jesus, Zebedee, dad, was left with just the employees. But picture these guys had grown up in an entrepreneurial household, a household that understood as we put together a business, we can bring benefit to our community, we can bring benefit to families as we hire people. They were accustomed to casting that vision, to pursuing the goal, to producing. They were a part of a small family business. And even more, they may have been the leader's cousins. It's a little hard to tell in the scripture, but best we can tell, their mother was Mary, the mother of Jesus' sister. So not only are they sons of the boss and the founder, they're cousins to this new group. James and John would have been killer at Dutch bingo. Oh yeah, that's my cousin. Yeah, yeah, I'm with him. Oh yeah, my mother married him and her sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Peter, he's, he's in the family business. Bingo, bingo. So, you see, there was this closeness. These were guys who stood out in the crowd. Now, it appears to us in Scripture that they're also part of what you would call the inner three. When you look at what we have recorded in Scripture, there was Jesus. He had a a group of three that we see him invest in deeply. He called the 12 disciples and invested in them, taught them, trained them. They eventually would go out with 72 And bring the good news of the kingdom. And now it's reached as far as North America. It's reached us as people to be a part of that group that goes out. But James and John with Peter would have been this inner three. They were at very unique moments and times. The raising of Jairus' daughter. Jesus comes into this household where there's mourning. A beloved daughter had passed away. And he takes Peter, James, and John, and he says, she is not dead, and walks into the room, prays. Peter, James, and John had an object lesson that day in the power of God. Let me suggest to you, you don't learn to pray in a way that moves with miracles, that raises the dead back to life. You don't understand and experience and understand that through a class you take in seminary. You join somebody, you watch how God works in those moments and it changes your life. James and John were a part of that. They also experienced the transfiguration. This is a moment Jesus goes up on the mountain, Peter, James, and John, he brings them in this moment of glory. Elijah and Moses make themselves known. That's the first time Moses has been in the promised land. That moment has been held off for centuries. Remember, Moses wasn't allowed in because of his sin. Now with Jesus, he's there. And Peter and James and John get to see that. Again, friends, this is more than instruction, a systematic theology outline. Jesus brought them up on the mountain. And they experienced and saw it was so overwhelming. They wanted to, their entrepreneurs, to start a new business. Let's make three booths. Let's make tabernacles so that folks can come and see this and be a part of we can be a part of this forever. Now I know that we think of the inner three, and that's what we see in the text. I get that. But as I look at how Jesus would do spiritual formation in his people. As I think about my life and how my life has been shaped, what worked, what didn't, as I think about the way I've invested in other people for spiritual formation, I want to tell you what I'm guessing right now. It may be that we see these inner three, they're just the three who recorded. I would not be surprised at all if Jesus had deep, relational discipling moments with all 12. Do you hear what I'm saying? That these three are not the only three. That what we see in these three is how it happens. I'm thankful for seminary degrees. Got a bunch of them. They're good for something. But if you really want spiritual formation, you're gonna have to get one-on-one, life-on-life to listen, To have somebody speak hard things to you, to help you understand the difference between conviction, which is the work of the Holy Spirit, and condemnation, which is not. See, another place that these alpha bros had been with Jesus by the end of the story is in the place of prayer. They would go to Gethsemane. Friends, you don't just learn how to pray by reading a book. I I give you books all the time. Books can be good. I've had some helpful books in my life. But the way to learn to pray is to join somebody who prays in their place of prayer. Jesus brought Peter, James, and John in the Garden of Gethsemane. He brought them to the place of his prayer. They heard him pray. They saw him pray. They saw what followed from that prayer. Friends, let me press you here. How have you learned to pray? Who are the people, the praying people who've taught you how to pray to pray by showing you their prayer life? They've invited you in to join them in their place of prayer. Who else will you become a person of prayer for? Who could join you and learn to pray? See, that's how it was meant to spread, not by hiring a good prayer but by joining people who pray in the place of prayer so that our prayer lives might then be passed on to others as they join us in the place of prayer. Do you see that? I mean, you don't honestly expect to just figure out prayer by yourself. That sort of prayer is just an extension of me. Do you think the people of prayer in your life, that just happened by accident? What prayer life I have, I didn't figure out from seminary, though they pointed me to good books, one of seminary, two seminaries did. I've been to so many seminaries, I can't remember how many. Can you imagine? But it's been the people who've said, Bill, come pray with me. I do that every Tuesday night with a group of friends. And they call me deeper into the place of prayer. Call me deeper into the place of prayer that I might be, learn and be shaped. This is how we learn to pray. Well, so that's who these alpha bros are. They stand out in the crowd. They've been in special places. They've been given a great inheritance. And I want to tell you something. Because of the people they are, they're going to be the first to ask for first place. After all, isn't that how you move up in the world? You do a good job. You expect to be promoted. You do a good job so that you can be promoted. You want to be recognized and you want to benefit from the investment you make. So they're quick to recognize the opportunity. This Jesus guy keeps talking about glory and his kingdom. We want to be on the inside track. We want to be close in his downline. We want to be right at the founders level. So they come to him and say, teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Boy, that's a loaded question. Jesus wasn't surprised. He wants to lead them deeper in reflection. And he says, so what do you want me to do for you? And they reply, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. In your glory, of course. When the dividends start coming, we want to be at the founder's circle very interesting, isn't it? Now, I hope you see that as alpha bros, of course, they would have understood that's the move you got to make. You got to be there first. Go for it. And so they do it. They do exactly what we would expect or consider normal. But Jesus tells them, no, not with you. They ask this, but it sets up quite the mess. It says later in verse 41, when the ten heard about this, they came, became indignant with James and John. It brought strife. You see, pursuing the place of honor began to break down the community. That's what happens when you have people who are seeking to serve for their own benefit and for their own glory. It brings dysfunction. It brings disorder. It brings contention. The thing that's fascinating to me, though, the other 10, they became indignant, but what they were upset about was that they weren't the first to ask. They're indignant. Being angry is more like, oh, why didn't I do that? They were upset that they weren't the first to ask, not that the Alpha Bros had missed the point. Where is it among the ten who say, oh, James and John, haven't we learned anything from Jesus? No, they want in on the gravy train. They're upset because they weren't first to ask. There's only so many founders' positions. I should have moved and gotten mine quickly. You see the heart of all twelve. You know, there's something that's unique among ancient literature— about the four Gospels. All the people in the Gospels are sinners. The hero of the Gospels, the one who doesn't make any mistakes, is God. Now, that's very different than the political biographies we read in our own time, or is it? You see, the Gospels show you the shortcomings of these disciples. Because in seeing their shortcomings, we're going to understand our need for someone greater than ourselves. What's interesting to me, Jesus says, what do you want to ask of me? They ask, and he gives them a very simple answer. I'd summarize it in two letters. N-O. Jesus says, no. Oh, you will be baptized with my baptism. You will follow me. But I can't tell you who's on the right and the left. It's not mine. See, Jesus says no. An interesting moment right here to stop and think about prayers that don't get answered. Now, that's a complex question. Why was my prayer not answered? And there's many answers. You can't have just one answer answer to that question. Sometimes what God is saying is wait. Sometimes what God is saying, there's brokenness in your life, sin, and you need to come to repentance on something. Sometimes it's, I want to give you better than you've ever imagined. See, in in less than a second, there's three answers. He may, here's a fourth one, say no. And God will say no to issues that violate his character. I don't even Bother asking God, will you help me steal that Porsche? That was so important to him that he put it in the Big Ten. Thou shalt not steal. I don't even bother asking because I know what his answer is. And I know that's not how I will flourish or thrive. You see, when we ask something that's contrary to God's character, the answer is no. No. And Jesus said, No, I won't put you in those places, alpha bros. It's not mine to give. Besides, you've missed my character and my mission. He says in um, verse 43, Not so with you. Oh, that's what the Gentiles do. Oh, I get it that that's what you'll get working on your MBA. Oh, I get it that's how people run their business. Oh, I get it that that's how the middle school group functions. The cool kids rule, but not so with you. Why? It's because of the character of the kingdom. The kingdom is a reflection of the character and nature of the true and transcendent God, the great creator king. Now, we see an outline, kind of a, a, a blurred, misty picture of this great Creator King as we look at creation, but in His Word, illumined by the Holy Spirit, He makes clear to us. This is a violation of His character, this request. When we look at the cross, we see in 3D flesh and blood reality in the person of Jesus, the character of God, and we can understand what it would cost to follow Him. Friends, because of what, who God is and how he created this world, I can tell you something. Tyrants will never last. Rulers are called to be servants. Rulers who are not will eventually face God. Just as when we begin to build our lives on something other than God's calling we will eventually be crossways with him. Flim-flam artists, dictators, they'll be swept from the stage of history. That's true for the world, and it's observable in human history, but it's even more among God's people, the church. I've lived long enough to see churches spring forward and then suddenly collapse from an inner corruption and brokenness. No, we're called to be servants. Listen to Philippians 2. Paul would reflect on Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, that's true about him. Whether you're a believer or not, God is who he is. Jesus is who he is. Who, being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, like the Alpha Bros were looking. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Not so with you, Jesus says. Later on in Mark verse 43, chapter 10, he writes, Whatever, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. See, this is who Jesus was. That was his identity. Servant. To reflect the character of Jesus in us, it's going to call us to be servants. Notice Jesus doesn't define his identity by his sexuality or his ethnicity or his financial status or his alma mater or profession. He defines himself by character of heart. He's a servant. And so his followers, in whatever position we may find ourselves, president of a bank, we would do banking like a servant. Parenting, we don't parent for our own benefit parents are servants that their kids might grow up caring and mature from childhood to adulthood to grow to maturity you know the ways parents serve their kids is help them learn that selfishness is not beneficial in the universe and in life that's what it means to be a servant parent but a student, a soldier, every position, were called to live it out with the character of servant. I heard a pastor one time tell somebody in his church, I'm not pushing a broom. It's not in my job description. I remember stepping away, thinking, oh, my. I don't want to be between him and the lightning. Now, I get it. I've got priorities in my life, and I need to be ready to pursue the Word of God, but friends, we are called to have the heart of a servant. Jesus says no to anything else. We're called to first be the slave of all. To become a servant is our identity, the means by which that will work its way out. It says is to be a slave of all, to be attuned to others' needs, to be attuned to the injustice that breaks in on others, to be attuned to the needs of others. That's the means by which we do this. That's the method by which we live out the fullness of God. Because again, we need to keep in mind the mission. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to serve or to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. He's come not just to teach us how to amass wealth. Why do you think God would bother making you productive and wealthy? So that you can spend it on yourself? So that you can find security in an unsecure world by your wealth? No, He gives us wealth, those of us who have it, so that we can see what our heart values and loves. It's where you spend it that will tell you what you love. I'll spend it on my security. I'll spend it on my pleasure. Or I'm thankful for provision and the excess to invest in other places. Why would the Father give you time and talent? To just make yourself benefit? No. His identity is a servant. His method is slave to all. His mission is that many might be rescued. To be part of that mission, it means joining the journey to be found in, formed by, and following who Jesus is. He calls us to that. That's why he rescued us. Friends, this is why I'm anxious to teach about spiritual gifts your part in the mission will be different than mine. As you go through seasons in life, expect your part in the mission to change and alter. All of that will happen. But every person who finds their life in Christ will be used by Christ to His glory and to His benefit. That's the goal and the calling. I want to tell you... I almost didn't preach this sermon because there's a much better sermon that's already been written. It's a little bit longer, so I wasn't going to read it. But I want to close by reading a part of it. It's by Dr. Martin Luther King. Many of you know that one of the influences on my life has been Tim Keller, and another has been John Calvin. Well, a third has been Dr. Martin Luther King because he's a preacher of the gospel of God's grace. I had a tough experience a few years ago in a church I was leading. There were some African-American students in our congregation that were part of our ministry, and i quoted a sermon from Dr. King, and they came up afterwards and said, wow, I had no idea he was a pastor. I thought he was a civil rights activist. And I remember thinking, oh, isn't that interesting? And I want to tell you something. I understand now in a better way than ever before where they were coming from. See, if you see the world, you've heard me use this term, imminent frame, just as the conflict between psychological forces or economic forces just right here. Well, you've got to squeeze Dr. King into being a civil rights activist. That's all he can be to you. But because... I've read his sermons. I've read his books. I've heard him preach. I realized that he was the preacher of the gospel. He had a transcendent message because of who God was. It made a difference for us in this part of life. And so because he points to something beyond himself. It changes how we live here. The title of this sermon is The Drum Major Instinct. And he talks about how there's a drum major in each of us that wants to be at the front of the parade. Have you ever seen the marching bands at halftime of the historically black colleges and universities? I want to tell you, you'll never want to watch Ohio State marching band again. They're so boring. And so he's speaking to this community and said, we all have that drum major instinct. That's what the Alpha Bros were. They wanted to be drum major. Follow me. Listen to what he says. And so, Jesus gives us a new norm of greatness, new norm of greatness. If you wanted to be important, wonderful. If you wanted to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, fine. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That elicited a huge amen that day when he preached it. That's the new definition of greatness new definition of greatness. This morning, the thing that I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great. Well, you say everybody, because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics in physics to serve. You only need, and here's the punchline, You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. And then you can be that servant. See, we're called to live the life of a servant because the God transcendent creator who enters into our imminent world in its brokenness, He is a servant. He takes on the form of a servant and calls us to that. He secures our identity in His transcendence so that we're not out there fighting to make something of ourselves. We've been given who we are, deeply loved, fully adopted, children of the great Creator King, and now we live and serve out of that. You only need a heart full of grace. God moves on us with his grace. We respond with faith. Our hearts are changed. We're generated by love and we can be that servant. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace to us. Thank you that you've enabled us to serve, not because We need to impress you or impress others or discover who we are or whatever. But you yourself who give life as the creator and who now rescues life as the redeemer, God the Son, you now empower life as God the Spirit. And so I pray, gracious God, that you move deeply within us, that you make us responsive, to your work and to your call. Thank you that you've gone ahead of us, Lord Jesus, and made possible the way that our lives may, might be changed and begin to bear a different fruit. I pray, Father, that each person within the sound of my voice might have an inkling of the deep way that they are loved by you and that they'd be amazed to see the way you would call them and empower them uniquely and fit to their uh, particular uh, gifting from you that you could make them fruitful in the life and ministry. I want to close by praying together the Heart of White Gospel Meditation. I think we have that as a slide, but I often use this uh, in my own prayer time to focus. So I want to close. Let us confess this together because it's the gospel that shapes us. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and for all humanity, I am not my own, but instead by the working of his grace, I am a deeply loved and fully adopted child of the great creator king. Jesus has loved me first and loved me as I am, right here, right now, not as I should be or even could be. He has also given the Holy Spirit to work in me, transforming me day-by-day into His likeness. In that way, Jesus increasingly works through me as He brings about the restoration and reconciliation of all creation. Holy Spirit, help me to believe this and increasingly see the evidence of Your work in my life values, and actions. Christ, the life of all the living. That's our hope. Hymn number 137. I encourage you. Let's stand as you're able and sing together. Receive this blessing and benediction as you go forth. This is Paul speaking to the church and to us. May the grace of Christ, which daily renews us in the love of God, which enables us to love all, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which unites us in one body, make us eager to obey the will of God until we meet again through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen.